Hope you're doing well. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts 14. If somebody could turn those lights up. That'd be perfect. Acts 14. Um, I don't have a ski hat on today, so I'm pleased about that. I don't have to be like 5,000 degrees in here while everybody else is freezing. Um, so we're going to be in Acts 14. The video that you looked at couldn't be any more appropriate than uh, what we're going to be looking at today to keep striving, keep going, keep building the church. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 14. Um, As I mentioned last week, Acts chapter 14 uh, is good to look at next to Acts chapter 13 because you can see the contrast between the two. So last week when we were looking at Acts chapter 13, I talked about how Paul had a specific way that he went into a city which I'm going to reference in just a second as we get into the sermon, that knew Christ, or at least knew the Old Testament scriptures, and how he could point to them. And we can see that in contrast now to what's going on in Acts chapter 14. Um, The other thing is, just as a reminder for all of you, that uh, after first service and second service, we're going to be doing a a little bit of introduction on what what the new building looks like. So you don't have to come back after second service to do a vote. Uh, My plan is to preach short enough and this, so you, you came on a good Sunday to preach short enough that we have at least half hour or so between services. So we can still, if anybody needs to head, they can. We'll have plenty of time to talk. We'll talk about what's going on. Plenty of time for you to vote. All that kind of stuff. And then we'll still be able to start second service. Um, that's the plan. I mean, you know, well, plans, they don't always go like you want. But anyway, um, we're going to be, as I said, in Acts chapter 14. Uh, and we are just going to be in the first 18 verses. I was going to do the entire chapter, but there's no way. So um, Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 18. So I, I'm going to uh, read it, and then we'll pray together. So if you have a Bible, you can look there. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia. And to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now. At Lystra. There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul looking intently at him. Seeing what. That he had faith to be made well. Said in a loud voice. Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done. They lifted their voices saying in Lyconian. The gods have become men. Uh, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and uh, Paul heard of this, they tore their garments and rushed out in the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also... Uh, men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave them without a witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your word. 
that you've given to us. We pray that as we look at it, uh, for those that are believers in Christ, they would be equipped, that they would be strengthened, and that they would see and understand the good news of the gospel afresh, and they would uh, trust Christ further, that they would, um, even though they're already forgiven of their sin, press deeper into the good news of the gospel and understand what it means to be completely forgiven of sin, understand what it means uh, to think in a gospel way. And Lord, we pray for anybody here that might not know you as they see how Paul and Barnabas so desired people that didn't know Christ to come to know Christ by faith. Lord, that they would see that they need, they need Christ and they need to trust Christ by faith this morning. We pray for us all that you would illuminate our hearts to understand, illuminate our minds to understand, and God, that our, uh, our souls would be strengthened in, the faith, in, Christ, in faith in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of this is A Tale of Three Cities. We only saw two cities. You can see right there in verse 1 where it says Iconium. You can see right there in verse 8 where it says now in Lystra. But if you look at verse 6, it says now they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby. So Derby is the third city. And you can see at the end of verse 20, they get to Derby, where it says, but when disciples gathered by him, rose up, entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. So that was the third city they went to. It's the tale of three different cities from going to Iconium to Lystra to Derby. Um, they have an attempted stoning. And after the attempted stoning, when they get to Lystra, they're worshipped like they're gods. And then that doesn't go so well, so they, they get stoned, actually, down in Derby. Um, it's Paul's second stoning that he's been at. The first one, he was on the side where he was doing the stoning. On this side, he's the, actually the one getting the rocks thrown at him. It, it's, not, it's not a pretty sight. He, he basically um, was dragged out of the city. You can see that we're not going to get to it today, but this is kind of... Part one, next week will be part two. But you can see in 19 that he's dragged out. Uh, they stoned him and they dragged him out of the city just supposing that, supposing that he's dead. So city three isn't a great place for Paul, but it's unbelievably, unbelievable his resilience. So um, what I want to do is uh, we're going to take a little bit of, a, of an approach by looking at the contrast between the first two cities and how Paul uh, goes about doing evangelism. And I said this last week, that we need to think about how we can do very good evangelism, smart evangelism. And evangelism just means telling people about Jesus. So if there's people in your life that you know that don't know Jesus, how can you effectively talk to them? And you need to know who they are. You need to put the gospel message, which never changes, into a certain context, whatever city you're in, whatever... um, uh, neighborhood you're in, wh- whoever you're talking to, they may have a good church background, a good understanding foundation, or they may not have any at all. And by knowing that, you know how to share the gospel with them. What we're going to see here um, is a continuation in the first part of 14 of what Paul did in chapter 13, where these particular people had a good foundation of the Old Testament. They knew who Christ was in the Old Testament. They knew that there was a Messiah. They know Jesus. And so he comes in and he's going to... Um, point to the Old Testament scriptures about how Christ is a fulfillment of um, the Old Testament and how he's the Messiah. But when we get to Lystra, uh, he takes a a completely different um, approach towards evangelism. And and what I'm hoping is that you'll see this um, multifaceted approach, same gospel, but multifaceted approach, and then you'll be encouraged and you'll be strengthened to think differently so that if you have success sharing the gospel with someone, and then you try that exact same thing with the next person and it doesn't work and you're beating your head against the wall like, why doesn't this work? It's because you probably talk to completely two different people who have completely two different foundations who don't understand um, all the exact same thing. So uh, it's good to understand how to 
how to be <clears throat> uh, contextual whenever you're sharing the gospel. And if you look at verse 1, it says, Now in Iconium. Iconium, uh, just some understanding about the background of the city. This is an ancient city. It's older than Damascus. It's on a plateau, plateau 3,400 feet above sea level. It's in the region of Galatia. It's in modern-day Turkey in the city of Konya. Um, not Kanye, but Kanya. Uh, it's a Greek city uh, that's Roman-governed. So let's go ahead and put up the modern-day map. You'll be able to see uh, this is a modern-day map. I took this with my phone. Um, so if we remember the entire, uh, the entire um, first journey, there's somewhere around here. Uh, you can go to the other map for me r- real fast. Uh, so th- there's somewhere around here in Antioch. And so they, they walk over to Seleucia. They... they take a boat to Salamis, they go to Paphos, they go up to Perga. They, this is where they met the, the, the magician. Uh, so they go up to Perga, and after Perga, they went up to Antioch and Poseidon. That's where we were in chapter 13 last week. Now, they left here, and they're going to go down to Iconium. So as, as they're in Iconium, things don't go that well, and now they're going to go to these two smaller cities, which is in the region of Galatia here, uh, to Lystra and Derby. We're just going to do Iconium and Lystra. We're going to get to Derby. Go back to the other map for me. Uh, the modern day. So here we are going to Cyprus. They're basically going up here and they're going into what's modern day Kanya. So um, that's where they are in, in the region. And it's good to go ahead and go back to the other map real fast for me. The entire, Paul does three missionary journeys. And as he does three missionary journeys, this is the first one. He goes all the way up here and then he kind of works his way back to Antioch. This is where that very first Gentile church was planted. And that's the first missionary journey. Just the, the blue and the red is his entire first missionary. He's going to have two others. But I think it's helpful, like I've said this many times, to see a map to know where they're going. So they're leaving Antioch, Poseidon. They're going over to Iconium and then going back down to Lystra Derby because they think they're going to die. And then they go all the way back to Antioch. Now, what's helpful to know is this is their first missionary journey. Why do they pick these cities? Because they're going to do different things than their other ones. Go back to the map, um, the ancient one. So what we know is that Paul and, and uh, Barnabas are from these areas. And so in their, they knew that there wasn't much gospel witness, but they were at least somewhat familiar with these areas, Paul and Barnabas were. So the reason why they picked these particular areas where Barnabas was from here and Paul was from in this area, from Tarsus. So he's, they're going to go in these areas just because this is where they grew up. They knew that there was no gospel witness, but they knew that they could have some decent success and get around and kind of know where they're going. Um, so that's why they picked these particular areas. So um, it's okay to use familiarity and your own gospel witness to start out with. And this is, this is what they did. So anyway, back to this. They're in Iconium. Uh, it's a very ancient city. And it says, Now in Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. That's verse 1. So they take this same strategy that they took in 1316. So if you flip one page over into 1316, you'll see their strategy um, whenever they go in. Uh, into particular places that have synagogues. In 1316, so Paul stood up motioning with his hand and he said, men of Israel. So we know that they went into the synagogue uh, whenever they went there to uh, Antioch of Poseidon. And when they went there, Paul, basically, you can see this message. Men of Israel, you who fear God, the God of people. And he gives a big, huge Old Testament history lesson. He tells them how it points to Jesus. And he he explains, we talked about all this last week. I, I encourage you to listen to it if you weren't here. He talks about how there's two major events, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that help us understand that Christ is the one that came from the Old Testament. And then he gives them the good news and then calls for action. 
That's, that's the basic gist of that sermon that Paul preaches there in Acts chapter 13, which as Luke's right and wants us to see that it's very similar to Acts chapter 2 where Peter preached the gospel when the Holy Spirit came. So that's that first sermon. So we have great reason to believe that he does the exact same thing in Acts chapter 14 when he goes into still what would be a Jewish city, an Iconium that had, had a Jewish synagogue. He goes in there and it says... <clears throat> He, he went to the synagogue and spoke in such a way that both a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. So this is what I want us to do. As we're going into each one of these two cities, Iconium and Lystra, um, I want us to look at these particular three things that he does. He has a way that he does these exact same three things in both cities. The people they preach to, we want to look at that. We want to think about the manner of their proclamation and the essence of what they preached. The essence of what they preached. So um, who they preached to. We can see that he went into the Jewish synagogue very much like they did last time because they knew that um, they could have success speaking to the Jews who had a good foundation of the Old Testament and pointing to the Christ the Messiah and that have people get saved and then that would give them inroads to start talking to other people that weren't necessarily Jewish but that were Gentile but still sympathetic to Judaism. So that's who they preached to. And I want you to notice this. So they have success at the beginning but there were some people who were Jewish who didn't appreciate this new gospel, if you will, this new covenant that that they were preaching. And it says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So you have proclamation, people get saved. You have opposition that comes and they want to do poison. So you have the proclamation and then the the back uh, following of poisoning. But this this is a key thing for us to know. So as soon as the poisoning or the opposition comes, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers... This is, this is key. Look at verse 3. It isn't so they you know, got frustrated and left. So they run and went to another place. They quit because it was too hard. They, they quit because they wanted to go somewhere easier. No, look at this. <laughs> I love the resilience of Paul. Look at this. So they remained for a long time. People came in and messed up everything. What are they going to do? Okay, fine. I'm going to dig in my heels and stay a long time. I'm going to make sure everybody understands the gospel correctly. So I I think we need to see here there is a necessity for us to endure. When opposition comes, whenever maybe you try to preach the gospel to someone and they do get converted and maybe they they, they speak to someone else and uh, I'm not going to say their mind gets poisoned, but they... They get drawn away from what, would be, from what would be the truth. This happens frequently, right? The answer isn't just be like, well, I tried. Holy Spirit, you take care of it. I'm going to move on to the next. Let's be like Paul. So they remain for a long time. We stay in there. We endure. Um, we continue to be there for the long haul to see them come to a full understanding of what it means to be a Christian. I think that y'all need to hear this. So parents, you need to hear this for your children. You, you actually have them for the long haul. They have to live in your house, right? And you need to hear verse 3. They remain for a long time. You need to hear the necessity of you to continually endure and be in it for the long haul. Even though you're going to make mistakes, even though you're going to sin all the time in front of them, you still need to um, openly repent in front of them and say that you need Jesus just as much as they do and stay in it for the long haul to help them understand who Christ is. But also for your neighbor, also for your family member that you, you, know, you see just on holidays, etc., that you think there's no chance that they'll ever get to come to know Christ. We all need to look at verse 3 and say, this is the kind of resilience and necessity to endure that I need to have. So they remain for a long time. How did they do it? What was the manner of their proclamation as we see number 2? They spoke boldly. 
speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness of the word of his grace. That's the essence of what they preach, the word of his grace. You can see there um, the word of his grace, which is the same thing as synonyms of what we've seen over and over, the way Luke uses different phrases to help us understand that they're preaching the gospel. The same thing that we saw in verse 13, 16 and following, uh, that the entire sermon of Paul, I think it's down to 42, down to 41 and chapter 13. So the essence of what they preach is the gospel. Now, what would be the result of this endurance? What's the result of this endurance? So they, they, they preach, people come in that, that are opposing them, they poison their minds. So they decide, well, we're going to stay here longer. We're going to speak boldly for the Lord. We're going to continue to press in and help people understand the gospel. Um, Boring witness of the word of his grace, getting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But here it is. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. Not all were one, but some were one. And for those, some that were one, over to Jesus forever, their eternity changed, it was worth it. We don't ever need to convince ourselves that unless we have lots of people get saved, it wasn't worth it. That's not the case. Um, our endurance is not wasted whenever some are saved. As a matter of fact, I would, I would say our endurance isn't, isn't wasted if just a few or one are saved. It's worth it. And so when someone's eternity is completely changed... We can't put a price tag on that. And so uh, we need to be willing to endure, and it's always worth it to endure. And so here we see there's a division here. There's, there's a mixed result that some uh, side with the Jews and some side with, with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Jews, I'm sorry, Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, so now opposition takes a whole nother level, right? It turns from... Uh, we're going to just do everything we can to poison the minds of the people you're trying to talk to. To um, We don't want to have to worry about that anymore. The best thing we can do is just kill you, and then we don't have to worry about what you have to say anymore. So they, they take their opposition up, and it says, When the attempt was made by both Jew, Gentiles and Jews with their leaders to mistreat them, to stone them, they learned of it, and they fled to these smaller two cities, Lystra and Derby. Paul and Barnabas here, having heard of the attempt to bring violence against them, decided to quickly leave. You're going to see, if you read the book of Acts, and even, and even in, in the Gospels, you're going to see, especially as these disciples get older, um, continue on, sometimes they flee and sometimes they stay. And you can just ask yourself, well, can I look at that and know the answer for me then? Like, if opposition comes, they fled, they did. Um, and sometimes they didn't. And sometimes it costs them their life. So I wouldn't read that they fled. I wouldn't read too much into it as a proof text that if there's opposition, you should flee. Nor would I say the opposite, that if they stayed, that that's a proof text that you should necessarily stay. Um, when there's opposition, and this happens for people that uh, are over in the 1040 window, for people that are in, in tough cities, tough places where there's no gospel witness and they know that it could mean their life. I think the only way that we can discern this is by the Holy Spirit. We just pray and we ask the Lord and we, we say, should we stay or not? And you, can, you can pray these same prayers when you're wanting to, to know, should I endure with my neighbor? Likely you should, but if there's major opposition where it would cost your life, maybe you should stay, maybe you shouldn't. I, I don't know this. I wouldn't ever use a proof text and a narrative to know. I would say you can't know that for sure. And that you should just um, press into the Lord and let the Lord lead you. But here, I think it's clear that the Holy Spirit 
wanted them to leave. They hadn't finished what they had been sent out to do um, from chapter 13, where the Holy Spirit set them apart to do a missionary journey, and they knew they hadn't finished it, and so they left. And when it happened, when they left, they didn't just say, okay, that's the first time uh, opposition came to the point of death, so what we need to do is just, it's time to take it back to, to Antioch. We need to, we need to go back all the way to home and just say, hey, things got tough. That's not what they do. Look at this. And they left. Uh, they went to Lystra and Derbia, or Derby, the cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And what did they do? Lay low, not say anything. That's not what they did at all. They continued to preach the gospel. After they had been kicked out of now two cities back to back, they didn't see this as, well, the Lord certainly doesn't want us to do missions anymore. Not at all. They say, he just doesn't want us to do missions in those two particular cities. We still need to... ESPN just said, did did y'all hear that? (laughs) Play of the day, somebody. That was crazy. Did that come through our speakers? All right. That was some good games yesterday, so... Go Packers. Anyway, um, they had been booted out twice out of two cities, back to back, and now they kept serving Christ and proclaiming His gospel. Um... They didn't, they didn't see opposition in the last two cities as a sign to say, we need to quit. They saw opposition in the past two cities to say, we just need to go to a new city. We need to go somewhere else. And so, uh, the, the role or the, the charge, I should say, of Matthew 28 to go preach the gospel applies. There isn't a time where you should stop preaching the gospel. It just means there's a time where you should stop preaching the gospel, maybe in one particular place. But you should never stop preaching the gospel. So that's the first city. That's Iconium. The next city is Lystra. And this is a, a massively different city. Lystra is about 26 miles away from Iconium. It's out in the sticks. It's a Roman colony. Um, it's in the region of Galatia, which I showed you. These are uneducated, likely illiterate pagans. Um, they were even kind of like half barbarous, half barbarians. Um, and there was no synagogue in this city. So as, as was their formal custom, Paul and Barnabas, would, when they first arrived to a city, uh, because they were Jewish, they would go to the synagogue and reason with them from the Old Testament scriptures, pointing to Christ as the Messiah. They had no, they had no uh, synagogue here in, in Lystra. So they have to take a completely different approach here. And so they don't just get there and say, oh, this isn't like all the other cities. We just need to, we need to just get out of here and go somewhere else. That's not what they do at all. So they go to Lystra, and there's three main things again. The people they preach to, the manner of their proclamation, and the essence of what they preach. We're going to see those things. <coughs> but here, they take a completely different evangelism strategy. Paul goes uh, to the synagogue and the old, other cities, and here, he doesn't do that. He doesn't go to the, the quote, uh, what's always worked before. Because that's not going to work here. So we, we need to be flexible, right? We can't always, when we're doing evangelism, just go with what's always worked before. It's okay to try that, but likely it's not always going to work because every person is uniquely different, especially in the 21st century. Instead, he goes, he kind of takes a, a read of the city, he adjusts his strategy, and he takes a different approach. Um, both involve speaking. We need to realize that. He doesn't just say here... I'm just going to, you know, have a faithful presence and they'll just see that I love Jesus. Both involve speaking. We need to remember that we always have to speak, but a different content nonetheless. Who are the people they preach to here in this? They preach to the pagan secular people of Lystra, which we've already seen. But notice what Paul does. Uh, When he immediately walks into the city, doesn't go to the synagogue, he sees a crippled man. And let's go ahead and take a step back. Let's realize uh, Luke... 
as he did in in Acts chapter 13, tried to make Paul's sermon sound very similar to Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Same deal, and this particularly much smaller version here in Acts chapter 14, where Paul heals this man that is crippled. Luke's trying to write it in a similar way so that when Peter healed the the crippled man in in Acts chapter 3 at the gate called Beautiful, he's trying to make them seem similarly Similar, he even uses some similar language like lame from birth, look directly at him. He uses similar language uh, to help you see that Paul has taken up this new mantle, if you will, of the work that Peter was doing. It's not any better, it's not any different, it is vastly different, but it's not necessarily any better, but it is nonetheless the same ministry. Peter was a man used by God to do this, and now Paul is doing that same thing. Now in Lystra, there was a man. Sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. So everyone in Lystra knew who he was. Everyone in Lystra knew that he was crippled. And Paul, this is his new strategy. He doesn't go to the the, uh, synagogue. So Paul gets in there and he he begins speaking. He listened to Paul speaking. So Paul still goes there and starts preaching the gospel. What he's always done, but in a different manner. And as he's preaching, he takes note of this particular man who's crippled. And he knows that... I can use a strategy here where if I heal this man, it's going to give a greater listening to what's going on. So this man's looking at him in such a way that where he's, he's following what Paul's saying. This man, as the Bible says, has faith that he could be made well. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, saying languages as Acts 3, and seeing that he had faith to be made well. <clears throat> now, we don't fully understand what all this means, right? We don't... We don't I don't think that this is faith in order to be saved. I don't think that this necessarily means he understood the gospel completely and he gets saved. But he does have faith in such a way that he knows that this man is sent from God in some kind of way. He's listened to him. He's interested in this gospel. And Paul, in some way, we don't know, probably just the filling of the Spirit, Paul is able to see and discern that this man has this kind of faith in order to be made well. And Paul is going to make a declaration in order for this man to be saved. And Paul... uh, Verse 9, and he listened to Paul speaking, Paul looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. Now, I know this is crazy, but wouldn't this be amazing? What, think about it. Like, um, you go to a city, right? And everybody knows that this particular man, I, I just want you to ha- try to get the full weight of this. You, you're a Christian. You love Jesus. You love going to cities and telling people about Jesus. You go into a city and everybody knows in this particular city, whom you don't know everybody, but everybody knows this particular man has been, has been crippled from birth, never walked before. And so you, in front of everyone, tell that man to get up. That's a pretty bold thing to do, right? What if it doesn't work? But he does. He gets up, and you're like, what? Yeah. Like, you can just think to yourself, that's pretty amazing. Like, and think about what everybody there is going to do. They're going to freak out, right? Imagine you're one of the people where you're at, you're at the crowd and you've had people come in and out. And all of a sudden, you know, here's the guy you know, he's always been. And a guy comes in you never met before, tells that guy to get up and you watch it happen. Think about, you've always known this guy as crippled. And all of a sudden, he looks right at him and just in a loud voice he says, stand upright on your feet. And the guy gets up. Imagine what you would think. You would be absolutely blown away, right? I want us to feel the full weight of Paul here doing this and what's happening. So Paul looks at him, stand upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. He sprang up. Paul heals this man. This man had the faith to be healed. And Paul employs this evangelistic strategy. Um, In order to heal, uh, 
so that he can talk to them about, uh, really, systematic theology later. But he does this in order to be able to talk to them later. And he says in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. Then he sprang up um, and began walking around. Now, when the, there's, there's a little bit of a problem. But let's just stop before we get into the problem. Paul employed what we've kind of, over the last eight years at Remedy Church, been, been terming mercy ministry. He, he employed mercy ministry in order to be able to share the gospel to them. He brought healing to their situation, their current physical situation, in order to share the gospel with, with them. And over and over and over and over and over and over in the New Testament, you're going to see this pattern. You, you can't likely do this, right? I, I don't think there's a chance that you can do this. But you can bring healing to their physical situation in different ways. You can't command them to stand. But likely, if there's some kind of large-scale uh, physical need that they have, you can meet this need, whether even if it means monetary cost to your own to your own self, meet that need so that you can share the gospel with them. So if they if they need a porch on their on their front on their front uh, ha- of the house, maybe they just maybe they're people in wheelchairs, right? And they they need a porch. You can go to the city. They have this little program. You can talk to them and help it help get a porch built. And then they think that you're the most amazing thing since sliced bread. Like you helped them get a porch. So now they can get into their house. I mean, there's, there's countless amounts of things that we can do for people, right? At, at cost to ourselves, or figure out how to make sure it happens. And as we help them, as we are being the church, the way the church should be in the city, doing mercy ministry, then that gives us opportunities as we do that to share the gospel with them. When we do something crazy amazing like that, this is pretty amazing. And though you can't do this, you can still do things that improve their physical lives. They're not just going to say, hey, thanks for that, and I, 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 I'll never want to see you again. They're not going to do that. They're going to want to know why you would do this. And this is our chance to be obedient in Matthew 28 and tell them the gospel. And that's what Paul does. But there is a little bit of a problem. There is a little bit of a problem. Uh, the people who believe in Greek mythology... Uh, believe Paul and Barnabas now to be gods, lowercase g, lowercase gods. So watch what happens. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, Paul and Barnabas don't speak Lyconian. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So here's what's going on. Paul and Barnabas likely knew this story but they don't know what's going on because they're screaming at Lyconian. Um, here's the story of Zeus and Hermes. Um, so Paul and Barnabas may well have known the story of this, of this Roman author, uh, Ovid, entitled Metamorphosis, written a half century or so before this. It was set in the time of the district and told of two Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, who visited the Phrygian hill country disguised as mortal men. So these, this is just a story. This isn't real, right? This isn't real. But this is a story that these particular people in Lystra believed. They believed it to be real. It's a story of the gods that were Zeus and Hermes that came down and disguised themselves on earth as mortal men. And whenever they went uh, to these particular cities in the Phrygian hill countryside, they would go from house to house trying to find lodging. And they were turned away from thousands of homes where they would seek lodging until they were finally welcomed into the home of an elderly couple. Now, remember, this is just a story. This isn't real. But these people in Lystra believe this to be real. All right? And so these, these gods, Zeus and Hermes, would go from house to house trying to find lodging, 
Thousands of people turned them away until they were finally welcomed into the home of an elderly couple. So the gods turned this elderly couple's house into their temple. They destroyed all the thousands of homes that rejected them. And the couple was granted their wish that they could become priests in this temple to serve these two gods, Hermes and Zeus, um, and allow them to be able to finally be able to die at the exact same time. They, these, these, this couple, Philemon and Baucis, in this story, said, I don't ever want to have to see my wife's tomb or be buried by her. And the husband adds the same request, and the request was granted. And so um, we see that there's this amazing kind of belief in Lystra of Greek gods. And if this tale, this fake story, was on the minds of people in Lystra, which obviously it was, uh, this helps us understand this amazing greeting that Paul and Barnabas have been given because they believe that the gods had actually visited this city before and that they weren't given like a warm welcome and everybody was killed, right? And so they, these people think, well, we don't want to be killed and these guys just healed somebody. So they must be gods. And so let's, warm, let's give them a warm welcome so we don't die. And that's why they start screaming in verse 11, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. You know, bring them in. Let's make our houses temple, temples and priests or whatever. So Barnabas and... and uh, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes <clears throat> because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus uh, whose temple was at the entrance of the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer their sacrifice with the crowd. So here's kind of the breakdown. So Paul and Barnabas he, he, take this risk, likely being misunderstood, but they knew that it could lead to some greater things to be able to share the gospel. Uh, they heal this man. The people start freaking out in Lystra. Uh, they start screaming out in Lyconian that Paul and Barnabas are gods, but Paul and Barnabas didn't understand it. And they think the gods have come down to us. And so they literally start worshiping. They, they raise them up as deities and start worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And they start bringing oxen and, and garlands out to, to start uh, offering sacrifices to them. Now, at first, Paul and Barnabas are like, what are you screaming? I don't, I don't know the language. I don't know what you're doing. But when, the moment they start trying to offer sacrifices to them, it all clicks. Like, oh, they think we're gods. This is not good. This is bad. Um, and so what do they do? Watch this. <clears throat> as soon as they realize that they're trying to offer sacrifices, but when the apostles Barnabas and Saul heard of this, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd screaming out. In, in Hebrew, or in the Hebrew tradition, uh, whenever you tore, tear your garments, this is a sign of kind of physically telling whoever's tearing their garments, this is sacrilege. This is heresy. Don't worship me. Don't treat me as a God. I'm not a God. What you're doing is heresy. Stop right now. Now, you've got to realize that this is kind of a, uh, a tough thing. Like, they could have been worshipped forever in this city. Like, they could have, well, you know, these people think I'm pretty awesome. Uh, this is pretty nice to be thought of as a God. Everybody wants to offer. Sac- We're going to get like these two golden chairs. We're going to sit here and bring me some grapes and let's just sit here and let's work. They don't do that immediately. Though the temptation for all of us would be there, they immediately tear their garments. They know what they have been told back in uh, Acts chapter 13 to go and preach the gospel, not be worshipped. And so they tear their garments and they scream out to them in verse 15, men, why are you doing this? We're just men like you. Like, stop doing this. You don't understand what you're doing. We're just men like you. Don't worship us. There's no reason why you should ever worship us. We're not worthy to be worshipped. So the manner of which they're... Uh, the people they preach to are the Lystrans. The manner of their proclamation, you can see it right here, is crying out. They're very distressed, and they're going to cry out to them to stop. Um, but what's going to happen here, 
Paul's going to launch into a little bit of a speech, and it's vastly different from the speech we see in chapter 13 and likely what he preached in 14.1. Men, why are you doing this? We are just men like you. So here's the content of his sermon to the Lystrans. Notice this. And this is not uh, biblical theology. So in 13, there's two ways to kind of do theology in a lot of ways, biblical theology and systematic theology. Biblical theology is uh, just looking at ver- the verses of Scripture, starting at Matthew and going 1 to go to 28, or Mark 1 through 13, or going to Romans 1 through 16, and just as you're going along through the Scriptures from chapter to chapter, let the Bible tell you the theology. And that's what Paul would do, basically, when he would go into the cities. He would do biblical theology in the synagogues. He would go back to the Old Testament and just point to the Scriptures, point to the Scriptures, doing biblical theology. That's one way to do theology. And I think it's actually probably the best starting point. But we also know of something called systematic theology, where you don't use the Bible chapter by chapter to point how people can understand things about God, but you have systematic theology where you take systems. You look at all of Scripture and you say, does the Bible say anything? And there's several systems, like the doctrine of the Word, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of last things. So we look at the doctrine of the Word. Is there anything in the Bible that talks about the doctrine of the Word? Sure there is. We can go to Psalm 19. We can go to 2 Timothy 3. We can go to 2 Peter 1. So we kind of pick places all over. That's not, that's not biblical theology because we're not starting in one chapter and just going through the Bible, right? It's systematic theology, which is very valid. It's still a good way to do it. Are there, is there anything in the Bible that helps us understand the doctrine of sin? Of course there is, all over the place. Probably should go to Genesis 3. Probably should go to Romans 3. Probably should go to John 3. Like, there's all kinds of places you can go, right, to understand different doctrines. If we're going to do the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, sure, go to John 14, go to John 16, go to Acts 2. There's all places that we can go. Paul, instead of doing biblical theology, which is what he's done mostly as he goes to the Jewish synagogues, here is going to do systematic theology. All right? He's just going to take a different approach. Notice what he's doing. I'm going to go back. There's eight specific doc, uh, things that I saw in there uh, with a little bit of repeat that I think he does whenever he, when it, the essence of what they preached. It won't be on the screen, but I'll, I'll tell you uh, what's going on. But I want to make sure you understand. This is a valid way that Paul is going to do this. Even though he's not going to do biblical theology, but he's going to do uh, systematic theology. The sermon that he's going to say here, John Stott says, this sermon is of great importance, great importance to us um, as his, is his only sermon recorded to address illiterate pagans. So we have a sermon where he addresses people who are Jewish and shows them from the scriptures that Christ uh, Jesus is the Christ. But here we have a sermon where he, ad- he has a, an address to completely illiterate pagans and does not use the Old Testament whatsoever. Why does Paul take this approach? Because he's a good missiologist, of course, a good missionary. Um, but Calvin, John Calvin says, there is within the human heart, uh, a, a, a heart of all man, a seed of religion. A seed of religion. This doesn't just mean like religious, like you worship rules, like we would use it today. What this means is that every man and every woman knows more about God than what they may want to admit, especially if they're proud. Everyone possesses an implanted knowledge of the Creator. Romans 1 tells us this. And Paul is going to tap into this. And he's going to preach this sermon. Um, One commentator says that God does not believe in atheists, even though they might not believe He exists. God doesn't believe in atheists. He knows, because He's created them, that every single one of them have, whether they want to admit it or not, a starting point already there that they know that there's a God. Romans 1 tells them that. 
So, here's the essence of what Paul preaches. Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. So when he does that, this is the doctrine of man. Helping them see that the doctrine of man means we're just human. And human means we're sinners. The next one, he says, And we bring to you good news. This is the doctrine of salvation. We're bringing you the gospel. We want you to understand the good news of Jesus. That you should turn from these vain things to the living God. This turning from vain things involves the doctrine of sin. The vain things are the sin that you're involved in. Namely, worshiping us. That's a sin. You shouldn't worship us. That needs to be repented of. And among all the countless things that you've done in your life. So he, takes, he talks about the doctrine of sin. Uh, and then he says, and turn to a living God. This is doctrine of God. This is helping them understand that actually there is a God. It's not us. You shouldn't worship us, but there is one. And then he says, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is within them. This is the doctrine of creation, helping them see that the, the God that you really mean to worship is the one that created everything, including you. And that's not me. And after that, he says, in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk on their own. He says, including both the doctrine of sin and man. And then in 17, he says, yet he did not leave himself without a witness. This is the doctrine of missiology. We, we're the witnesses. Acts 1, 8 already told us. And we're, we're now, every generation is going to have one. We're the witness. And so we understand that God is always in the business of leaving witnesses. This means that you're the witness now. Just like Paul and Barnabas were here, you're the witness now. He never, ever leaves himself without a witness. That means you do it in Rock Hill. He didn't leave himself um, without a witness. I already lost my place. There we are. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is the doctrine of general revelation. So God has revealed, this is Romans 1, God has revealed himself in two specific ways. General revelation through all of creation so that the human heart understands they are God. And then special revelation, specifically through Christ in order to be saved. General revelation does not save, however, makes everyone know that they are a sinner and that they need God and therefore now helps us all see that we're condemned without Christ. Special revelation is what actually brings us back to God and saves us. So Paul unpacks uh, systematic theology here with doctrine of man, doctrine of salvation, doctrine of sin, doctrine of God, doctrine of creation, doctrine of mission, and doctrine of general revelation. A completely different approach from the other cities. But I want you to notice this. This is important. He doesn't have what we would call success. Verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to him. They, Paul and Barnabas, could not stop them from offering sacrifices to him. They were illiterate. They were pagan. They were half-barbarous. They saw a man get healed. They really believed these generations and generations of the story. And so it would take more time. Because there was no foundation, Paul and Barnabas would need much more time with these people in order for them to understand. But he still started with the right place. So this helps us understand. The same charge in verse 3, so they remain for a long time, is still the same thing that happens here. Time they would not be given. They're not going to be given this time because those from Iconium are going to come back in into this particular town, throw it all into a, a, a hizzy, and then they're going to get mad at them. The Lyconians or the, the, the people from Lystra are going to get mad, and they're going to stone them. Time they're not given. But he still took the right approach. Faithful evangelism, whenever we're faithful with sharing the gospel with people, it's going to come with a variety of results. 
a variety of results. We, we see that they have a variety of results here in verse 4. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostle. Here, correct approach. He contextualized the gospel perfectly. He just needed more time. But even though he wasn't given more time, he had a tough time just convincing the people that they still weren't gods because they had no biblical foundation. So we need to realize that there's always going to be, as we're sharing the gospel, some good results and some not desired results. But it never, ever means for us to stop. It never, ever means for us to stop. And it never, ever means that we shouldn't be um, as flexible as we can whenever sharing the gospel. So here's what we can learn from this text. Stott, to conclude, John Stott says this. We need to learn from Paul's flexibility that we have no liberty to edit the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. We can't change the gospel message, but we can adjust the way that we share the gospel message according to the person that we're sharing it to. Nor is there ever any need to do so. But we have to begin where people are to find a point of contact with them. With secularized people today, this might be what constitutes uh, authentic humanness, the universal quest for transcendence, the hunger for love and community, the search for freedom. All people that don't know Christ are looking for these things. They want to know... who is the most human person? You can point to Jesus. They want to understand what transcendence is. You can, under, you can help them see that only comes through forgiveness in Christ that we may one day uh, be transformed by the gospel. The hunger for love and community. Every person wants love. Every person wants community. You know where you got that from? God, who's always lived in community in the Trinity and created love because he is love. You can always, in every single situation where people are searching, the search for freedom. True freedom comes from Christ, Galatians 5.1. Or the longing for personal significance. You can have personal significance attaching yourself to the most important story, Christ. And that's where you find your significance. Um, Stott continues, wherever we begin, however, we shall always end with Jesus Christ, who is himself the good news, and who alone can fulfill all human aspirations. So as we're, as we're looking at an, yet another text on mission, I want to challenge you to continually press into sharing the gospel. Think about who your neighbors are. Think about who the people that you're sharing the gospel with. Think about how much or how little they might know about Christ and how that can, though you'll tell them the same thing about Jesus, you might have a different approach in telling them about Jesus. As he says, who himself is the good news of whom which we believe as Christians. We believe in for the forgiveness of our sins. Of whom which as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, celebrate the forgiveness that we have received in Christ from His body being broken and His blood being shed for us, knowing that there's never going to be held against us our sin because all of it has been put on Christ. And now all we know is no condemnation. All we know now is perfection. All we know now is forgiveness. We're going to go into our time of the Lord's Supper if you're a believer in Christ. I just encourage you to participate um, and let the the amazingness of this supper wash over you. Let the amazingness of being forgiven in Christ wash over you. And as we take the Lord's Supper um, and we realize that we're completely saved, let that true fact that we have been saved drive you out to desire for other people to know how to be saved. Other people to hear the gospel. And let's contextualize and be wise as we share the same message, but in ways that reach different people. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time. We pray that you would be with us now as we take the Lord's Supper. We pray that all of us would, wouldn't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, but instead, Lord, 
would think on what you've done, your body broken, your blood shed. And God, that we would uh, just be amazed at the gospel again. And that we would go realizing that since there is no barrier between us and you because you have given your life, that now we are free, completely free, completely free from sin, completely free to live for you. And that we wouldn't allow ourselves to be bogged down with our own schedule so that we don't have time to tell people about Jesus. In the same way that Paul healed this man in order to share the gospel, let us be about the task of doing mercy ministry in order to share the gospel. The mission of the church involves both of these things, Lord. I pray that we do this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.